Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 66 of X Lapsed, where we are going to wrap up the uh, Dawn of X Wave 1 number 8. Today we're going to be talking about X-Men Volume 5 number 8 at a May 2020 cover date. The story is called Swarm, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Mahmoud Azrar. Colors by Sonny Go, letters VCs Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, edits Bisa White Sabolski, cover price $3.99. And this one went on sale March 11th, 2020. So before we start here, I mean, we've had a couple of very, very, very dense uh, issues of this very title here. X-Men number six and number seven were huge books and uh, absolute, you know, can't miss books if you're following along with uh, Dawn of X or even... As I mentioned during those uh, those discussions, if you were just a fan of Hoxpox, those are two issues you definitely will want to seek out because they fit like a glove, right? It's really, really good stuff. I wonder if this one will, uh, will keep up that level of quality. I guess we're about to find out, aren't we? Uh, short answer, uh, in my opinion, no. No, it does not. But uh, we open at the Sextant in the Academos Habitat of Krakoa. Now, this is the home of the recently returned New Mutants A-Team. Well, I suppose all the New Mutants actually live here, but the important thing right now for the you know context of this story are the ones that were just up in Shi'ar space. They're back on Earth, right? So we have Magma. She wakes up, and she notices Danny and Rain admiring a thing. Now, this thing turns out to be something that Rain had brought back with her from space, and it's the King Egg. Now, if you remember, that's the thing that the Star Jammers were going to steal way back in, like, the first or second issue of New Mutants. So, it's a pretty uh, pretty nice callback to, well, not too long ago, but eh, it's, uh, it's nice to see the thing again. Now, we immediately shift scenes into deep space, where we learn that, hey, that King Egg might not have been the best souvenir to take home. Because, you see, it acts maybe like a beacon of some sorts here. It has something to do... With brood breeding um, And we see some fairly disgusting images of Assumedly thousands upon thousands of brood Acting like parasites or barnacles On some giant dead space fishes Space whales perhaps, I don't know Basically they're hopping a ride from the edges of space All the way to wherever the king egg currently resides Which, you know, probably doesn't bode all that well for our heroes Now does it? On the subject of the brood, I remember as a kid, I didn't know how to pronounce it. You know, me and my friends would call them the broad, which uh, probably made us sound like uh, like 1950s, you know, Brooklyn, you know, cabbies talking about women. But I mean, what are you, you going to do? We were dumb. We were from New York, and uh, 
It's probably wise to never take it from us how to pronounce anything, as, as I've proven time and again on this very program. From here, Roll Call, we got Wolfsbane, Mirage, Magma, Magic, Vulcan, Cyclops, Havoc, Oya, Brew, and Jean Grey. Then our double-page spread of creds. We open with an info page after that. It's uh, something called the Shi'ar Battle Records, and this has to do with the War of Kings, which, uh, if I'm being honest, I probably couldn't get through if my life depended on it. Now we have uh, three names listed here. The first one is Gladiator, and we learn that he was crowned Magister of the Shi'ar Empire after Lalandra's death. Number two is Black Bolt, who was killed by the T-Bomb, and uh, in so doing, he probably killed thousands upon thousands of more by you know sheer boredom alone, because Black Bolt sucks. He's boring. Uh, three, Vulcan. He was also killed by the T-Bomb. Now back to comics, and we see Vulcan. He's having himself like a... Like a reverse uh, Mickey Moran, or a reverse Miracle Man, if you'd rather. Instead of having a dream of flying, he's in the middle of a dream of falling. Now, before he goes splat in his dreams, I guess, he's woken up by his brothers, Scott and Alex. Now, Gabriel says that he has he feels like the fire inside him has been extinguished. And we're going to find out that old Gabe here is kind of like Beavis, in that he won't shut up about fire. He really likes saying fire and hearing people say fire, so... Very beavis Now the camera pans out, and we see that Gabriel had spent the previous night getting plastered with a fellow Deadly Genesis alumnus, Petra and Sway. Neither of whom I've thought about in like 15 years at this point, so that's pretty cool. So, Alex and Scott, they chat up Gabe, who tells them that he had the same nightmare again. The chat is cut short, however, by the passing of a whole lot of whale-riding brood. If you remember, Summerhouse is on the moon, so they're kind of getting a sneak peek about what's headed to Earth. So let's go to Earth. Now, some youngsters from the Schism era pop onto the scene, and this is Brew and Oya. They talk about what a mess the Generation X kids keep their home, uh, which, uh, once again, hey, now I resemble that remark. Um, not sure why they want us to think the Gen X kids are, like, complete disgusting slackers, but... Yeah, okay, I guess I get it. Anywho... Brew and Idy, uh, they head into the New Mutants house, where the former immediately notice that, holy smokes, they got the King Egg. Now, he fills the team in on the fact that the King Egg disrupts the breeding cycle of the brood, and also that the brood can smell it from a galaxy away. And uh, no sooner does he finish expounding than there's a tremendous thoom outside. Naturally, it's the uh, rough landing of one of them space whale carcasses. Captain Magic brings everyone into formation and prepares to engage in battle with the Brood. As she slices and dices with the Soul Sword, her attacks are suddenly joined by some optic blasts. Out of a portal jump Cyclops and Jean Grey. Cyclops asks asks Magic to open up some holes for him, which turns his optic blast into something like, if you're familiar with the video game Portal, you know? Like, she, she opens these holes, he fires into one, and it comes out another, and hits, you know, various brood, and it's pretty cool. I like that. I like this uh, tandem offense from uh, Cyclops and Magic. Now, as the fight rages, little Brew tries to get Jean's attention. Initially, she blows him off. She's like, hey, we're kind of busy here, right? He then informs her that he knows how to stop this fight without, uh, with as little bloodshed as possible. This gets her attention, and so he fills Jean in on the King Egg hoodoo, and he, she shares this information with Scott. Now, he begins to devise a plan to get the King Egg off-planet in order to draw the Brood away. He asks Magic to hold down the fort on Krakoa while he deals with the back-end stuff, and uh, Ileana growls in the affirmative, so I guess she's cool with it. 
And so, Cyclops, Jean, and Brew, with the King Egg in tow, run back through the portal to Summer House. There, Havoc guides them to a ship where Vulcan is already ready to take off. But not until Cyclops says the word fire a few times. Dude's a total beavis. Anywho, the rocket blasts off the moon there. Now an info page, and it's the same Shi'ar battle record as the first, only with some edits and some Krakoan writing plastered on it that I... I decided not to translate. I, I apologize. One, still Gladiator, we have an update where he decides that he wants Zandra Neramani to serve as Majestrix of the Shi'ar. And she's the offspring of Lalandra and Xavier, by the way, which might be... I, I mean, that might be new information to me. I'm not sure. I, I don't think I ever put the two and two together in that case. Two, Black Bolt, update, he's sadly not dead. Though, he's probably still killing thousands upon thousands from boredom because he sucks. Three, Vulcan. Update, he's not dead either. Duh, we've been reading about him. Now we shift scenes to Shi'ar space where an accuser, I don't know that it's necessarily Ronan, but it's an accuser nonetheless. He's got the Starjammers held captive, and, uh, well, he wants to know the whereabouts of the King Egg. Right now he's in communication with Sunspot, who's still chilling on Chandelar with Sam and his annoying wife. The accuser has Berto about the egg, and they play a bit of Let's Make a Deal. Sunspot says he'll try and help out, but the accuser's gotta let the jammers go. Though it's worth mentioning that Bobby wouldn't mind seeing Corsair roughed up a little bit first. The communique ends, and the pain-in-the-ass smasher enters the room. She wants to know why Bobby was talking to an accuser. And what's more, she wants to know why a Kree accuser would be calling them from inside of of the Shi'ar Empire. And frankly, I couldn't care less either way. Now we wrap up the issue with Gladiator and... Kid Gladiator, as a recipe for disinterest, um, now they are hunting brood, then Oracle or Mentor, whatever one of these geeks they are, they tell Gladiator that there's a Kree accuser currently residing inside of Shi'ar space, to which Gladiator and the Kid decide that, hey, maybe they ought to stop hunting brood and start hunting the accuser. And that's that. The issue kind of ends out of nowhere. <laughs> there's no to be continued, it just kind of stops. Um, next episode, we're going to be talking about New Mutants number nine, but, uh, yeah, let's, uh, I, I guess we'll, we'll talk about this issue here. Um, I guess right off the bat, after two amazing issues of X-Men, I can't help but to feel that this was kind of a letdown. I don't want it to come across as me saying this is bad, because it's not bad, not in any way, but it's certainly not up to the level of the prior two outings. Uh, they were, as, uh, as Jason put it, those were extraordinary. This was... Well, it was not. Um, maybe it's just giving us a breather, you know, from the heavier stuff. But, I mean... I, I And I can appreciate that. I have a long-standing fondness for breather issues in X-Men. You know, the, the quiet issues. The, the Lobdell specials from after a big, huge crossover event. He'll do a down-home issue. And it's usually very, very special. And it's usually something that sticks with you. That's not what we get here. Um, it's different in tone. It's lighter in tone. I think parts of it were supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. Um, and maybe this is just me, right? Do we really need more Shi'ar stuff? Can we please, please go a month without seeing Gladiator? Uh, I mean, I won't go as far as to suggest that I'd rather be having S.H.I.E.L.D. or the Inhumans crammed down my throat because there's nothing worse than that. But the fatigue is setting in on this space stuff. 
I know Hickman's big on space and, you know, the high concepts, but, man, you know, if we're going to get a breather issue, which is me projecting that this is a breather issue, I just want to see the X-Men acting like X-Men for a minute. Uh, Maybe I'm being unfair, I don't know. I just feel like this issue didn't have any heart. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. I just, I left it feeling kind of empty, is what I'm trying to say. It's just It was just something that happened to us, right? And I mean, I know and appreciate that the concept of heart as it pertains to comics and storytelling is, like, totally nebulous and, and even subjective, but this felt empty. Uh, not bad, just unsatisfying. Uh, which, you know, for all I know might be the point, especially after a pair of wildly dense and heavy stories like we got in 6 and 7. Um... I mentioned early on in this series that I had a few misgivings about Hickman and his style. Um, many of many of those have been assuaged in the course of reading, you know, the past sixty-five issues worth of uh, Hox Pox Doc Socks here, right? But there are still some little bugbears about what he, his, not what he writes, but how how he frames a story that kinda just don't work for me. They don't jive for me. One of those things is that the casts are too damn big. I mean, didn't, like, the first year's worth of his Avengers stories all feature a scene between Captain America and Iron Man saying, like, we need to be bigger, we need to be bigger, and then every issue is like, here's 15 more Avengers, here's here's another 10, here's another 8. It was just too much. Too much. His Fantastic Four run expanded from the Four to the Future Foundation and introduced, like, 700 characters, right? And again, this isn't bad... It's just not what I look for in comics. Sometimes, and many times in the Dawn of X world here, if the story is strong enough, I can get past all that. But with an issue like this one, the one that we just read today, I kind of get stuck. I guess what I'm trying to to convey here is that I feel like the framework for so many of his stories always feels built more on concept than character. And sometimes, at least to me, the seams in that methodology really show. I mean, it feels like, and this might just be rose-colored glasses, I I totally, totally accept the possibility, but, I mean, I just mentioned the Lobdell specials, right? The the post, you know, the post-executioner song issue with Jubilee and Professor X having, going rollerblading, you know? Uh, Right after Onslaught, where the X-Men are picking up the pieces after Xavier's taken away, uh, so many, right after Fatal Attractions, where, where Scott and Jean get engaged, I feel like those issues had heart, and even the issues that weren't the Lobdell special, I feel like every character had had a minute. Whereas here, this feels more like one of the things that I would, one of the few complaints I had about the Morrison run. You know, he'd introduce all these characters, and then they would just be background. You know, it's like, oh, here's this really cool character, and oh, they're in the background of that one scene. They didn't say nothing. They didn't do nothing. They're just there. And I feel like that's kind of what we're getting here. It's like, here's a scene with the New Mutants. They're not going to do anything. They're just going to kind of be there. And I... I don't know. And again, it's not bad. It's probably all just me. But let's move on. Let's break it down here. Uh, I was happy to see the King Egg being addressed here, simply because it was a dangler. Uh, Not because I found it all that interesting, because it's Shi'ar space crap, (laughs) and I don't find much of that interesting. 
it's just nice to get a little bit of context here, you know. Uh, it was also kind of neat to see Brew again, because I'd almost forgotten that he was even a thing to begin with. Um, there's something I'll give this issue. We get to see a handful of characters who'd kind of fallen by the wayside. You know, Brew, I, I can't remember seeing Brew since Wolverine and the X-Men back in the day. Oya, I want to say, and I could be misremembering this, but I think she started off on Cyclops' team and then moved over to the Wolverine team. And, of course, Petra and Sway from the Deadly Genesis team, which I don't know if we've seen them in ages. So it's cool just finding out that these characters are there. It's nice. But, again, going back to my previous point here, what did they do with them? Brew got to do something because we're dealing with the brood. Oya was just there. You know, she just like, hey, remember this character? Well, here she is. Petra and Sway, it's like, hey, it's cool to see them, but they're just drunk on a couch. It's, the cast is too big. Um, other than that, I mean, what else can I say about this one? Um, maybe if I enjoyed War of Kings, I'd be more invested in this. But to be honest, War of Kings, that's like almost the perfect storm of things that I could give a crap about. Space stuff, the Inhumans, yeah, yeah, no thanks, not for me. And as I mentioned during the synopsis, our cliffhanger, if we can even call it that, it felt more like a case of just running out of pages and panels rather than a cognizant attempt to leave us hanging. It's like, hey, let's go hunt an accuser. It's like, I'm not invested in that. I, I saw this accuser and I know him for all of three panels and I could care less. He looks like every other accuser. <laughs> what do I care? I don't. Maybe it's just me. I'm totally open to that possibility. But I just feel unsatisfied. What I am satisfied with was the art. The art was fantastic. It was awesome to see Asrar here. Really, really good stuff. Um, uh, we've talked a lot about the art on this book with uh, Lionel Yu and uh, how maybe he's not the best fit for this sort of series. And uh, I think Mahmoud Asrar here is very much a good fit for this series. Um, and it was very nice to see him here. Overall, I mean, despite not having too much to say about this issue itself, it wasn't bad. You know, I don't want to say it was bad. It's, uh, certainly, if you ask me, it was not a must-read like the prior two issues. But again, that's not really this issue's fault that the other two were so good. So, uh, yeah, I think that's about all I got to say. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm ripping you guys off. Uh, but... There just isn't a whole heck of a lot to chew on here. Maybe, I mean, we've had issues of this book that felt like we were going into cliffhangers that were just never picked up again with the horticulture, the Golden Girls, right? We end that issue with, hey, we have a problem we need to deal with, and we've never seen them since. So maybe this will be another case of that. It's like Gladiator and Kid Gladiator are going to go do the thing, and it's like, maybe it'll just happen off panel. Maybe it'll happen in a year and a half. But I haven't looked ahead, so I don't know if this will be continued right away. I think it probably will, since we do have, you know, the brood and the, the the king egg thing. So I think we will get a continuation of it. But, uh, eh, <laughs> it kind of is what it is. Maybe after reading that, it'll, this one will, you know, be better for me. I don't know. But yeah, that was X-Men number eight. And speaking of number eights here, let's do our power rankings for the Dawn of X Wave 1 number eights. And, uh... I think the book of the eights would be X-Force. 
X-Force was the one I enjoyed the most, and it certainly gave us the most to talk about. Um, a lot of heavy stuff there, a lot of stuff that, a lot of food for thought, right? I mean, we had uh, Domino and uh, Colossus talking about the, the right to die, and very, very heavy stuff, really good stuff as well. Um, the second book I'd put would be Marauders, which was another solid, I mean, that's... Yeah, I've long said that that's the most consistently good book of this entire line, and uh, number eight was no exception. Three was Excalibur, which wasn't quite as as much fun as issue seven was. I'd slot this book, X-Men number eight, in the number four slot, and then the uh, we'll anchor it with New Mutants, which uh, was the Nova Roma storyline, which really didn't do a whole heck of a lot for me, unfortunately, so... My power rankings again, 1, X-Force, 2, Marauders, 3, Excalibur, 4, X-Men, and 5, New Mutants. So if anybody wants to share their power rankings, I would very much appreciate hearing uh, your thoughts on on the line. So uh, before we get out of here, let's do a little bit of digging in the mailbag. We're going to start with Damien, who's discussing New Mutants number 8. And he says, this was my last issue of New Mutants. I gave up when I realized that Hickman wasn't coming back. And you know, it's weird, uh, despite the fact that I've been collecting these books in real time. You know, I, I've mentioned that before. And that, of course, is to say that I get a monthly shipment with all the most current books, or as many as they have in stock, I guess. Sometimes they, sometimes they miss some, but uh, more often than not, I get everything. So I have been buying these books for well over a year at this point, every single month they come. And I only really open them to add some details into my a ridiculously obsessive Excel spreadsheet that tells me what comics I have, right? And I still, despite the fact that uh, I haven't typed Hickman's name into a New Mutants book for a while, I never realized that he was actually gone for good. I, uh, I, I want to say like the last seven or eight issues that I put in of New Mutants had Brisson's name on them, and only Brisson's name. It still never registered to me that he was going to be the sole writer from this point on. I always assumed that... Uh, it was just, you know they're going to pass the baton back and forth. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting uh, the things that uh, the things that you miss when you're not paying attention, right? Uh, Damien continues. My problem with the Brisson issues of New Mutants is that they feel very arbitrary. He's putting together teams of characters who feel inorganic and ignore past continuity. And uh, I agree 100. percent That's a very good way of putting it. Now, over the course of our last several discussions of New Mutants, the Brisson issues in particular. I've been calling it, like, the Amalgamated Young Mutants of Krakoa LLC, right? It's, like, just a depository for the younger, junior crowd, regardless of whether or not any of it makes any organic sense or feels natural in the slightest. It's like, hey, here's Armor, who's going to be really worried about Beak, despite the fact that I'm not sure they even had a scene together before this. You know, it's... And Glob's got a got a crush on Pixie, but he's gonna hang out with Armor because they're they're all young and they're all at uh, Carousel or whatever. Uh, Damien continues. Boom Boom was involved in the story where it was revealed that Nova Roma was fake. Claremont later retconned that retcon, but surely the fact of that story should be acknowledged. Based on what I would expect, Magma and Boom Boom should have a slightly strained relationship. At least Boom Boom should be questioning Nova Roma. She would still think it's fiction. It only works if we accept that all the junior characters have bonded off-panel. Hickman had the wisdom to reference that Chamber and Mondo didn't really know the other New Mutants. Another excellent point. And uh, to be completely honest, something I'd totally forgotten about. I, I forgot about how nebulous and in and out 
the concept of Nova Roma was. All I knew that in, you know, my various reads of the first run of New Mutants was that Nova Roma bored me. I can't even promise that I even read those issues uh, uh, more than once. I might have just skimmed over them. Uh, You know, it's funny when you go back and you read. You do reading projects, right? I think a lot of us engage in that sort of a thing if we have the time to do so. And we kind of get to a point where we know we can skip. Or we know we can skim. And we know that uh, maybe these these three issues clustered in right here, I don't I don't really need to pay attention to those. I'll just jump over that to this, you know. And uh, with New Mutants, Nova Roma, or really anything magma-related, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I could skip those. Um, and that's probably why I couldn't remember the details here. Not to say that... Uh, that I'm not extremely dense, but uh, that, that's probably why I don't remember that. But your point is very well taken. Um, there really should have been a mention of this, or at least, I don't know, a measure of skepticism, um, which, I mean, it would stand to reason. Also, you're completely right about Chamber and Mondo's portrayal here. I, I It's one of the things I really most appreciated about the Hickman issues and New Mutants here. I love the scene where, you know, they all went in for the group hug when Sam showed up and Mondo and Chamber are just kind of like scratching their scratching their eyebrows like, all right, whatever, well, I guess we'll just wait here. I feel like another writer, perhaps even an Ed Brisson, might have not a... They wouldn't have subtly spotlighted the fact that, you know, despite the fact that these characters are portrayed as being somewhat similar in age that they're still from disparate generations, right? They're not from the same generation insofar as how we view the the comic generation gap, right? I mean, they could both they could they could all be 18 years old, but they're they're still generational differences. And as such, they may not immediately just be tight, right? Um I mean, the Brisson issues to this point have all been like, "Hey guys, we're all junior mutants, so we're immediately pals." And there isn't anything inherently wrong with that. If we assume that, as, as you put it, that they're bonding off-panel. But there's something far more genuine about actually being able to see the varying levels of comfort and familiarity that these characters have with one another, which was definitely present in the Hickman stories, not so much in the Brissom ones. I mean, even here in this issue of X-Men, we have... Mutants. We have junior mutants from a different era, the the schism-ish era with Brew and Idy, uh, and I, I don't think Brew is technically I, maybe Brew is a mutant. I forgot, but I mean we have young characters from a particular era. Is what I'm trying to get across here. Now they know that there's a difference between Gen X and New Mutants here. They make comments about how Generation X are a bunch of slobs. New Mutants are the the more mature junior X Men, right? So there are varying levels of uh, of just behavior and uh, and and bonding, right? Uh, Damien continues. There's nothing actively bad about this book. Again, this is New Mutants number eight. But I just feel like all the meaty stories are happening just off panel. And really, I couldn't have said that any better myself. Uh, this isn't bad. Actually, none of the Brisson issues have been you know quote unquote bad. But I feel like we're getting the inch-deep, mile-wide look at a lot of these characters, and uh, as well as their interpersonals, right? The strength of a New Mutants book, right? Or, I mean, the, or most, ex, most comics, period, right? The strength of most comics, period, is the way that these characters engage with one another. 
in these issues of New Mutants, the Brisson ones, we're not really seeing that, and and it's a shame, right? It's it feels like we're we're leaving we're leaving a lot on the table, and it's uh, it's unfortunate, but you know maybe as uh, as Brisson gets more comfortable writing these characters, that uh, we'll start seeing uh, some some interpersonals here and some uh, I don't know just way of uh, way of dealing with one another, and maybe we'll see some some of these differences highlighted. It's, you know, anything can happen Anything can happen But thank you so much for sharing your thoughts On that issue of New Mutants here And uh, I'm hoping that the subsequent issues of New Mutants Are available for free on Marvel Unlimited So you're not, like, paying to follow along If they're not really to your uh, to your liking And uh, if you're still trying to keep up with the show I, I hope... I hope you're getting them for free. So, thank you again. Uh, Next, uh, from uh, our friend Ed Moore, uh, who, seriously now, we will be doing a Maze Agency program sometime in the near future, I promise. Uh, He wrote in to discuss Major X. And he says, uh, I was intrigued when I first heard Rob was being given carte blanche for this series. When the first issue dropped, I was hoping to get some of the New Mutants X-Force Youngblood vibe I remembered from the early 90s. It didn't feel the same, unfortunately. The phrase, you never can, you can never go home again, comes to mind. The series has been entertaining enough for me to have read, but not so much to tell others that I'm doing so. And uh, that's very well put. Very well put here. Uh, I want to go with uh, your last sentence first here, because I'm used to... I mean, social media is a thing, right? We all know that it's a thing, and it's got its good points, it's got its bad points, but there's... There are also patterns of behavior and trends, and uh, so I know if I share something out, be it an episode of this program, be it an episode of any program, be it a picture, a blog post, anything, I expect a certain amount of engagement. You know, it's not much. It's far less than I would like, of course, because of course we want more, but I have an idea of the reach. You know, I I know what the reach is going to be here. And then there are things that I'll put out, and I'll know that that reach is going to be a lot different because it's maybe outside of the realm of something I usually talk about. And then there's things I'll put out that just nobody cares for. It's I'm not special. It's what happens to everybody. When I shared anything Major X-related, it was like almost aggressive non-engagement. It was the weirdest sensation, like people... like. It was as though I took a picture of, like, roadkill and shared it. And people were just, like, holding their nose and walking away. And I couldn't understand it. I really couldn't understand why um, why nobody wanted to engage in just, it's just... Just to tell me why they didn't like it. It was just like, ugh, no. And I didn't understand that. So I, your point about... <laughs> Being, it's being okay to read, but maybe not so much to let people know you're reading. Uh, that may be... Uh, that may be very. That's a very solid point. Um, now, like you, when the first issue dropped, I, I was expecting a certain vibe, and for the most part, I feel like I got what I was looking for. Um, it was completely off the wall, right? It was wild. It was weird. It didn't make much sense, but it was what I was expecting. You know, it's you're not going to buy Major X and expect it to be House of X. It's, you know, to think to think that this is going to be like a Hickman book, yeah, it's not going to be. I mean, to think it's going to be a Lobdell book, it's not going to be a Claremont book, it's not going to be. It's going to be a Liefeld book because it's a Liefeld book. And if you, if you have an aversion to Liefeld books, then this is not a book you want to buy. 
Now, I'm okay with Liefeld books, for the most part. I feel like the series is definitely falling apart the further we get into it, but the first issue, for me, was exactly what I expected. It was exactly what I was in the mood for. It was exactly what I wanted out of it. So, don't have much bad to say about the first issue. The uh, subsequent issues? Yeah, <laughs> there's something, all right. Uh, Ed, Ed continues... I've been keeping up with the current iteration of Marvel's Mutants, but honestly, find your X-Lapsed episodes to be far more entertaining than most of the books. Well, thank you. <laughs> I suppose I have my complete X and adjacent project to fall back on to actually enjoy reading the X-Books, and I'm up to 1978. And that sounds like a heck of a fun project, to, to do something like that, to actually go through and read everything. You know, it's something I'd love to do. And, you know... One of the first X-Men podcasts that I ever listened to is doing just that. And there's still... this. I started listening to this show, um, boy, 2009, 2010? So it's been 10 years. I, I haven't... I, I'm very far behind because I'm constantly putting out content, so I, I don't have much time to really consume it. But uh, they did a fantastic job reading through... Basically, your your exact project here. It's a show called The Danger Room, and I'll I'll try to remember to link to them in the show notes because it, it's a good show. It's a really good show. It's a fun show. Uh, it's a couple of guys who started with X Men number one, nineteen sixty three, and bada bing, bada boom, all the way through. And I believe they are probably, I want to say they're probably in the mid to late eighties right now, uh, which is to say they have like. 200 and something episodes so it's a good show um and if uh, if you want some company on your your ex and adjacent project i i would recommend those those two they're they're good guys um ed wraps up with thank you for the time and effort you put into the shows and uh thank you so much for uh for the time you share with me doing uh do with these shows here it really, you know, as always, I say it really means a lot, and uh, it definitely does. So thank you so much, Ed. And uh, thank you for listening to Major x Lapsed, which nobody likes. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, finally, we're going to talk to Jeremiah, who re just read New Mutants Number 1. He says, New Mutants Number 1 was very good. I had a couple of minor quibbles with it, but it's one of the stronger books so far. I agree that the art is excellent. I also thought that there was a, some Sienkiewicz quality to some of it, especially some of the magic panels. I was so glad you mentioned it on the show. And yeah, uh, you know, Rod Reese is, you know, I, I say he's ridiculous, and I mean that in the best possible way, because I can't even wrap my head around how he does what he does. Amazing, amazing work. It could be... It, it, it's like it walks that very, very razor-thin line of, like, clean and off-the-wall insane, but it marries the two so well. I mean, oof. I don't know that I'd ever seen his work or ever paid attention to his work before New Mutants, and he's already, like, in my top five or top ten artists of all time. I just can't get enough of his work here. It's fantastic and very, very Sienkiewicz in those magic panels, which is exactly what a character like Magic calls for. Just... Boy, I mean, if there was ever an artist born to draw New Mutants, it's Rod Reese. Definitely, 100%. But I'm very, very happy that you're enjoying New Mutants here. And uh, 
you know, once once you get to this episode, episode 66, you're going to know the long and windy path that New Mutants is going to take, where we're going to jump back and forth between stories. It's very, very uneven. But for the most part, the space stuff, despite my distaste for space, is very, very solid, and it's very, very good. So I hope you continue to enjoy that, and I hope you uh, consider continue to uh, join us uh, as we as we continue to go through. So thank you so much, Jeremiah. It's always great to hear from you. Um, now it would always be great to hear from any of you. So uh, if anybody would like to get in touch with me, you could do so very easily. I'm at Ace Comics on Twitter, which uh, has a new X-lapsed uh, little avatar here that I lost sleep over because uh, I had the same logo for half decade now and i'm not good with change but i did it so there you go so uh, ace comics on twitter and also at weird comics history at gmail.com you can find blog notes blog no blog posts and show notes at chris is on infinite earth.com the xlapsed page is xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearth.com you can chat with us on facebook at 90s x-men and you can listen to the entire chris and reggie archive at chris and and uh, I guess that's where we'll put a pen in it for today. Uh, I want to thank everyone so, so much for uh, sharing their time with me, uh, spending all these hours talking about weird stuff. And uh, I apologize if this episode might have been a little wobbly because I just didn't have a whole heck of a lot to say about the issue in question. So if you guys have anything you'd like to say about it, please, please reach out and let me know and we can discuss this in subsequent episodes. So thank you all once again. And as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.